we've been going through a series on the tabernacle, and we're here now this morning at the golden altar. It's also referred to in the scriptures as the altar of incense. So that's what we're going to call it. Is uh, Our series is not without blood, and now today we're at the altar of incense. And um, we're going to be reading about the instructions that God gave Moses about the altar in Exodus 30, 1 through 10, and then we're going to go back and forth to the uh, from the Old and New Testament to see what um, what truth this illuminates for us about the ministry of Jesus Christ right now. So, uh, if you're physically able, will you stand with me as we read from God's precious Word, out of respect and reverence for that Word? You shall make, this is Exodus chapter 30, verse 1. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width, and it shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Verse 4. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both, both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Reverence and respect for God's precious word. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The Bible says in Romans 4.25 that he was offered up for our offenses and he was raised for our justification. His finished work on the cross when he spoke and said it is finished. We've talked about this time and again that the word from which that was translated is a word that means the debt's been paid. It's been paid in full. To do anything to add to Christ's finished work of redemption or to do anything to take away from it is heresy and damnable. It is complete. It is finished. He did what He came to do. God ordained it from the foundation of the world. God the Father planned the great work of salvation. God the Son purchased it through His death on the cross. And God the Holy Spirit makes it known through the Scriptures. And so the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son, are all at work involved in our redemption. They did the work for us. We just trust what they finished and did. Amen? And so it's all the work of God and zero the work of you and I. He died for us, rose again, and now He lives to intercede for us. So the work of redemption is finished. But now Jesus Christ occupies a priesthood position. 
And he's at the Father's right hand. And as we go into the holy place of the tabernacle, we went through and we walked through and we've gone and we made a made a progression here from um, made a progression. Thank you, Spencer, from going into the gate here. And we've come here, the gate, of course, is symbolic of the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by Him. And then we come to the brazen altar, which is here. And we looked at the brazen altar, and the brazen altar is a picture of the cross of Calvary, where Jesus was sacrificed in atonement for our sins. You don't go any further until you go by the cross. The way of the cross leads home. There's no other way. And then you come to the brazen uh, laver, laver that... Uh, washes and it's symbolic of the fact that our relationship with God is purchased at the cross symbolic of the golden of the brazen altar but our fellowship our fellowship with the Savior is all based upon taking a wash at the brazen labor and we talked about that in the washing of the water of the word and then we move on into the holy place and then we'll go back and God willing and finish our journey into the most holy place but when you go into the holy place we taught we saw the table of the showbread here which is symbolic of the body of Jesus Christ that was spilt on the on Calvary to purchase our redemption and we looked at that at length and then right across from that is the uh, golden lampstand and we talked about the fact that there are four layers of covering over the holy place and the most holy place and it was dark in there so absent any kind of light on the inside it was a very dark place and so this light was lit here um, and uh, we talked about that at length, and it was directly positioned across from the table of the showbread, and we talked about the fact that it's symbolic of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, before Jesus left this earth, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he will testify of me. And so it's positioned directly across from the symbolism of the body of Jesus Christ because it is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that the Son is known. And primarily through the scriptures, because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible through men. And then, as we move on further in, today, God willing, we're going to talk about the altar of incense. Here it is right here. That's the last piece of furniture that you come to before you enter into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. Now, this altar of incense, the golden altar, no blood is shed here. No blood is shed here. Now, there are two altars we've looked at. This is the second one. The first one was the brazen altar. Now, that's nothing but blood. That was a bloody place. I mean, the animal sacrifices were made there, and we know that those were pictures of coming attractions, that what God would one day through do through His Son, and that all the bulls and the goats and the lambs were offered there, and their throats were cut, and blood was spilled out all over that altar to symbolize the blood that would be shed on the cross of Calvary when the Lamb of God was offered up in sacrifice for our sins, the blood that literally can take away sin, the only blood that can. But at this altar, there's no blood shed here. Incense is burned here. Incense is burned here. So we're going to look at about five aspects of this altar. And uh, the first one is going to be, we're going to look at the proclamation of the altar. The proclamation of the altar. And the way we're going to look at that is, is we're going to contrast the brazen altar with the golden altar, or the altar of incense. Now, Here's the deal. We're going to make a contrast between this altar here, the first one, which is symbolic of the cross, and we're going to contrast it with this altar here, 
which is what we just read about, which is the altar of incense. Now, this altar, the brazen altar, first of all, we talked about the fact that it was made of the uh, acacia wood with brass, bronze, overlaid with bronze. Does anybody remember what bronze indicates in the Bible? What is it symbolic of? Judgment. That's right. And so the wood is symbolic of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And the bronze overlaid, the wood, is symbolic of his judgment, of God's judgment. And that God, the Bible says, according to the uh, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, that we escape the wrath to come because our wrath that we deserve, God's wrath that was deserving upon sinners like you and I was, was taken out on God's Son. And so the full measure of God's wrath was taken out on Jesus Christ at Calvary. We went at length to look at the beautiful symbolism of that, of that altar. Oh, it's awesome. So that is indicative of judgment. Now, when you move into the golden altar or the altar of incense, it says in the scriptures it's made of acacia wood, same kind of wood that the other one's made of, but it's overlaid with gold. Okay? Symbolic of Jesus Christ and his deity. That he's at the Father's right hand right now. He has access, and because he has access, so do you and I. And so whereas the judgment was taking place there, when you move on into the altar of incense, it's favor. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He's alive. Amen? All right, then the brazen altar, if you recall, it has no crown or no rim. We looked at the fact that there was a rim, or there was a crown around the table of showbread. There were two of them. Do you remember why the crowns were there? It was to keep the bread from falling out. They stacked up the bread there, and they kept bread there, fresh bread there all the time. They were required to. And those two crowns were kept there to keep it from falling out. And we made the analogy and the, the typology of, of the picture of that being the crown of Jesus Christ. And now this, this golden altar has a crown around it as well, a rim. And inside that rim is where the incense are burned. Now, the reason that's so significant is there's no crown or no rim at the brazen altar. Because why? Because there's, before there's ever a crown, there has to be a cross. Every crown is preceded by a cross. This is the offense of the gospel. We want all the benefits of knowing God. We just don't want like the way that it, we don't like the avenue through which you have to go to get to God, or what God did—the bloody cross of His Son. That's an offense to a lost man. You know why? It was an offense to you and I. If you're a believer here this morning, before you got saved, you know why? Because it confronts our pride. The cross is an exclamation point over the timeline of eternity that says, "You are a sinner, and you deserve judgment." for your sin and Jesus Christ is your only hope abandon your hope to try to save yourself and fully trust in him the way of the cross leads home and in your life believer before there's ever going to be a crown it's got to be preceded by a cross we talk time and again and time and again and time and again about the work of the cross for you to be saved but after you're saved there's the work of the cross in you and that's where Jesus orchestrates situations and circumstances in this process we call sanctification to conform us into the image of His Son. And He uses things, adversity, and sometimes confusion, and sometimes delayed answers to prayer, and sometimes misunderstandings, and all kind of persecution and everything you could name 
and all of that is used to form and fashion us into the image of Jesus. And so before you're ever going to slap on a crown, you've got to have a cross. It's been said before that believers often have Jesus on the cross and us with a crown, and we need to switch places and put us up there and crown Him with the crown. Amen? You know what? He's Lord. We're not. So there's no crown. Listen to this. Observe this. The brazen altar is much larger than the altar of incense. Just the size of it. Now the brazen altar was seven and a half feet square all the way around. You'll recall. And then it was four and a half feet high. But the altar that we're looking at this morning, the altar of incense, is one and a half, or it's three feet, it's one and one one and a half feet square and three feet high. So it's much smaller than the brazen altar is. I want you to turn with me, will you? We're going to take, take a trip to the New Testament. Let's look at 1 John. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John, chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 2. You know what the Bible says in Romans 10, 13? The Roman road? What does it say? What's the first word? Huh? 10, 13. That's 10, 9. That's close, Chad. It's on the Roman road right there. You're on the right road. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Christ died for the whosoever. Amen? And look what it says here. It's a big altar. It's a big altar when you compare it to the altar of incense. You know what it says? Look what it says. And he himself, referring to Jesus, is the propitiation. That word propitiation means mercy seat. That's literally what it means. He himself is the appeaser. He himself satisfied the demands of God's righteous judgment through his death on the cross. He himself did that. And look who he did it for. He not only did it for our sins, but He also did it for the sins of the whole world. Amen? He did it for the sins of the whole world. Now, you, you can do whatever you want to do with that, but that's the bottom line. It's only effectual for those who believe. But it was for everyone. Hallelujah, 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 amen. And so listen, that's why the altar's bigger. Now, when you move in, when you move into the holy place... That's just the believer. You see, everybody is offered salvation through repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, and we lament this fact, but not everybody's going to respond. But it's a big altar. The, day, the gates of heaven are flung open wide. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Amen? And so look, it's smaller. Okay, now look at this. His promise was for the entire world, for Adam's fallen race. is what we see in the brazen altar. But what do we see in the golden altar, the altar of incense? We see Jesus interceding for His people. When He prays, He prays for His own. Look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and let's look at verse 9. Go back to the Gospel of John 17.9. Jesus, in His high priestly prayer, and my, what a blessing it would be for you to study this prayer. In his high priestly prayer, in his office, office as our high priest, 
What does he say in John 17, 9? He says this. I pray for them. Talking about us. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all are mine, all and all mine are you are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus Christ prays for you. Isn't that wonderful? He ever lives, the Bible says, we'll get there in a minute. To make intercession for us. So there's the contrast between the bronze altar and the and the altar of incense. So it's a that's the proclamation of the altar is that it is available to those who go through the way of the cross. Now we're going to look at the altar because it's a place of prayer. So we see the proclamation. Now we see the prayer. Burnt incense. Incense was burned on the altar. Look at Psalm 141, verses one and two. Take a hard left and go over to Psalm. 141 verses 1 and 2. Now stay with me now. We keep on going through here. Psalm 141 verses 1 and 2. Psalm of David. It says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as what? Incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So when we see incense in the Bible, it's symbolic of prayers rising up to the Lord to smell in His nostrils as a sweet-smelling aroma because of the acceptance of the sacrifice of His Son. You know, when lamb is cooked, it has a sweet taste to it, a sweet smell to it when you cook lamb. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, they were cooking lamb all over Jerusalem because it was the time of Passover. And so there was a sweet aroma that was rising up to the nostrils of God saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This will be enough to save Ken from his sins forevermore. I accept his sacrifice. This is my Son. He smells good to me. Amen. And now his intercession smells the same way to a holy God. In the nostrils of God, he can, he, can, he can see the intercession and receive the intercession of His blessed Son. It's not that we did it right, it's that Jesus did it right. It's not that you look at the ones who follow the Lamb, you look at the effectual, fervent prayer of the Lamb Himself. And that makes our prayer effectual and fervent. Amen? Look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. This is familiar to you, and you probably thought of this when we were going through this. Look what it says. Take a hard, lay, hard right and go over to Revelation 5.8. We see the proclamation that is for the believer coming through the cross, symbolic of the brazen altar. We see that it's a place of prayer. Symbolic of the incense that will burn on it. Look at Revelation 5.8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Isn't that something? That God captures the prayers of the saints and holds them in bowls in heaven because that's how precious they are when you come to God through Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, so it's not only a place of prayer. We see the proclamation. Now we see the place of privilege. It's for priests only. 
It is for priests only. Look at Second Chronicles 26:16. Take another left. Go over to Second Chronicles. I know we're going all over the place here, but follow with me if you will. Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16. Do you remember King Uzziah? King Uzziah was a godly man. King Uzziah had a heart that was bent toward God, but King Uzziah went to smell himself. You know, that's what we wind up doing. Be not careful. The Bible says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's what began. He began to, to realize some measure of success. Not through his own efforts, but through trusting God and faithfully obeying Him. And he began to be prideful and began to be lifted up. And you know what he did? He went into the holy place to make a sacrifice because the Bible says his heart was lifted up. King Uzziah, look at Second Chronicles 26, 16. It says, but when he was strong in heart, but when he was strong in heart, when, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. The priests were the only ones who had the right to do that. When it says his heart was lifted up against the Lord, that's the same Hebrew word that's used in Ezekiel 26 when it says that the devil's heart was lifted up before the Lord, and that led to his fall. We've been invited though. We have a carte blanche invitation to come in. But you have to come in through the cross of Jesus Christ. The only prayer that God will ever hear from a lost man is a prayer of repentance toward God and faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's it. And then after that, He hears them. When we come in with clean hands and a pure heart according to the Scriptures. But we have an invitation to come in. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. You know what happened to Uzziah when he did that? He, came, he approached irreverently and not according to protocol. And when he did that, he was stricken with leprosy and he died a leper from God's judgment upon his sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4. See then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Let me ask you a question. Based on the composition of the altar of the of the of the altar of incense, what part of the altar do you think that points to? When it says we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Which one? It's the acacia wood. It's his humanity. That Jesus Christ came down here, was tempted in every way we were, yet without sin, so that when you talk and I talk to him, he can identify with every single one of our struggles, every single one of our trials, every single one of our temptations, every single one of our hurts, and look at you with golden eyes of love and compassion and mercy and say, Son, daughter, I understand. I understand. I can identify with that. And because I can identify with that, I can talk to the Father in a compassionate, sympathetic way because I came down here and rather than looking, looking at pain and suffering from a distance and having a, a heart that couldn't identify it, I came down here and swallowed your pain on the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah to His name. What a great God we serve. Look what it says. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one that was tempted in every way we were yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man, we have an invitation. 
If you had an audience with the President of the United States, even though we disagree with him, if you had an audience with the President of the United States, you would respectfully, out of respect to the office that he occupies, you keep the appointment. And you wouldn't be late. Oh, friends, far and away greater than that. Far and away greater than that. You have a carte blanche invitation as a child of the living God to approach this throne boldly because of the cross of Calvary and the incense of intercession that can rise up and be accepted by the nostril of God. Hallelujah. 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 So it's a place of privilege. It's only for those who repented toward God and put faith in Jesus Christ. It's not because we're worthy. It's because He's worthy. We don't approach the boldly because we've done something. We approach boldly because we've trusted in what He's done. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. I know my children can have my ear anytime they want it. Unless I'm particularly distracted and I need to repent over that. But my children can have my ear when they want it. You know why? And have my ear when they want it. It's because they're my children. They have my name. They came from my loins. They are my children. And if I act that way, and if I have that disposition, and I'm a wicked, evil man on my own, what does the Father, what kind of disposition does the Father have from hearing from His children? Don't picture God as some distant God with His arms folded, saying, talk to me and I'm not listening, because i got other things going on, you know. Look at Him like this. Think of the person in your life who loves you the most, who listens to your hurt and your pain, who's willing to lend an ear to talk to you about what's going on in your life. Think of that person and multiply it times a billion and you'll have Jesus, maybe. Amen? And so it's a place of, it's a place of, uh, we look at the priority of the prayer, it's a place of privilege, it's a place of prayer. And brother, it's a place of power. Those horns that were placed on the altar. Did you know what we said? And Spencer, let's go to the inner part of that, to the, uh, the picture of it and we'll go take a look at it specifically up close it's a place of power you know we encounter some horns before do you remember that we encounter some horns because there were four horns on the corner of the brazen altar you remember that to bind the sacrifice on the altar on the grate to keep it there to burn after it had already been gutted and blood and blood was spilling out from it a picture of the cross of Calvary. We went all of that. Now we're going to walk in. And as you walk in and we're approaching and we're walking in. And we're coming and we've got the table of the showbread over here. We've got the lampstand over here. And now we come to the altar of incense. And you'll notice on the altar of incense there are horns up there. Now, the horns on the altar look just like the horns that were on the um, brazen altar. But these horns are probably a little bit higher than they are in that picture right there. They're probably just a little bit higher, and I'll get to that in a minute, and I'll tell you why that's true. But they'll probably go up a little bit higher than that. But those horns, it says, now let's go back to let's go back to Exodus chapter 30. Go back to Exodus chapter 30 with me, will you? Exodus chapter 30. On the Day of Atonement, which is the day called Yom Kippur, that was the one day of the year, one day of the year that the high priest could go into the most holy place. One day. He would go in there, and he would take the blood, and he would spread it over the mercy seat, symbolic of the fact that Jesus Christ interposed His blood. He came in between God's righteous judgment, the presence of God hovering above the mercy seat, the Ten Commandments below, showing us to be cursed by having violated the Ten Commandments. And in between, Jesus steps in. And His blood comes in between the God's judgment and the, the, the judgment we deserve for having broken His law. 
And God responds by saying, yes, I'm satisfied with that sacrifice, symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when he walked in the most holy place, that happened once a year. Look what happened there. It says in verse 9, let's go back up to verse 8. And it says, when Aaron lights the lamp at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual, perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burning offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. One of the reasons why those horns on the altar is symbolic of the fact that not without blood, nobody goes into the most holy place. That priest dare not go in there without blood. That's why the title of this series is Not Without Blood. You don't go in there without blood. And before he went in there, he would stop at the altar of incense and he would take blood from the brazen altar, had to be from the brazen altar, from the blood that was spilt there, and he would spread it over the four horns there, symbolic of the fact that the reason I have access and the reason I can move on in to the inner place is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible is a bloody book. And it's there in part to show us how God hates sin. And the blood also shows us how much God loves sinners. Amen. Oh, man. So it's a place of power. Those horns denote power. That God would condescend. That God Himself, God the Son, would not regard equality with God as something to hold on to, but would come down here, humble Himself, and become obedient to death, even the death on the cross. So at one day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That took power. That took power. You know what the greatest display of power in the Bible? is when God elected not to use His. The restraining power. If I'm Jesus, I'm t maybe ten slaps and that'd be it. I said, man, I created the hand you're hitting me with. And I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm going to turn every one of you to toast one by one so that the rest of you get over here are going to be scared to death by the time I get through a half of this room. The one who had power over that and authority over that situation is the one who did not lift up his hand and stop it. He restrained himself. That's power. He restrained himself. That's power. I don't have a problem with thinking that God and believing that God can frame the worlds by the word of His power. That He holds it up by the words of His power. That He holds it together by the word of His power. That He can heal a blind man when He made eyes anyway. And that He can give somebody ears to hear when He made ears anyway. And he can make the lame walk again because He made their legs. But to think that God would come down here, restrain Himself, and allow us through the plan of God to put His Son on the cross and bleed Him to death on Calvary's hill in public shame and humiliation to purchase for us uh, the way out of our sin, that's a miracle. So brother, it's a place of power. It's a place of power. And those, those horns were higher than probably what they're in because why? They had to keep a cloth covering over it. They had to keep a cloth covering over it, and when they moved it, they would put the covering over it, and it, made a, it was made of two pieces of covering, according to Numbers 4.11. The blue covering on it denote heaven. It's heaven origin. It's heavenly ministry. It's heavenly access, and the badger cover was on top of it, and that cover had to be high enough to keep the cover from touching the incense, or otherwise the cover would be burned. 
You know why? Because when they moved it, they had to still burn incense. You know why? You know why? You know why? Hallelujah! I'm going to tell you why. Does anybody want to know? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Go back over the New Testament. Watch this. He said, you will keep a perpetual fire on this thing. This thing's supposed to never go out. Listen, this thing never goes out. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 7. Look at this. Not long ago, we said that God is able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. Amen? And that came from this verse. Look what it says here in 7. 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Why? Since he what? Always lives to make intercession for us. Do you know what Jesus Christ does at the Father's right hand? Prays perpetually and intercedes for you and I. That's why they had the fire had to burn perpetually. And the cover had to cover and go high enough to keep the covers from being burnt. Because even when they moved it, Connie, they had to keep it burning. You know why? Because Jesus Christ never stops praying for you. Hallelujah. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, spread the news to every land. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, shout salvation full and free. Highest hill and deepest cave, this our song of victory. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Amen. You know what it says there? By his death and endless life. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Did you hear that? Look at Romans 5.10. Turn with me to Romans 5.10. Watch this. By his death, whoever wrote that was familiar with their Bible. By his death and endless life, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Perpetual. There's a perpetual incense burned at that altar. There's a perpetual burning that goes up in the nostrils of God. Can I say this to you? You were saved by grace through faith, and you and I are kept by grace through faith. And if you can lose your salvation, that means Jesus Christ quits praying for you, and you can throw that verse out of your body. Amen? He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why we're going to make it, brothers and sisters. That's how we're going to finish. We got started by Him. We're sustained by Him. We're kept by Him. And brother, we'll finish because of Him. Amen. Aren't you grateful for that? If it were left up to you and me, we'd be in trouble. We've looked at this verse before. I want you to look at it carefully. Romans 5, verse 10. Now watch it now. Watch it. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Did you catch it? We are reconciled to God through the death of His Son. The substitutionary, sacrificial, all-sufficient, atoning, death, 
burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something, saint. You are reconciled and we're reconciled to God by His death, but we're saved by His life. Do you know what it means when it says, Greater love hath no man than this, than one lay down his life for his friends? We limit that to the cross. We think of the cross when Jesus said that. He not only thought of the cross, but He said this, I will die for you and I will raise... I will be raised from death and I will live eternally for you as well. We are to shout hallelujah. That ought to transform our worship when we gather together. And throughout the week on a 24-7 proposition, we were reconciled to God by His death, but we're saved by His life. I'm sustained by the life of Christ. If a believer can lose that, that means Jesus would have to die. Are you thankful? For what He's done for you? Praise His holy name. Praise His holy name. It's also a place of prescription. It's a place of prescription. Not restrictions, just prescriptions. No fire could burn on that altar except that it originated from the brazen altar. Could not. If you went and got a coal off of a fire that burnt somewhere else, except that brazen altar, God would strike you down just like that. As a matter of fact, He did that. Do you remember? Numbers chapter 16, it gives the account. Two men that offered up strange fire on that altar. And what did God do with them? Aaron's sons struck them dead right there. Whether the world likes it or not, the only way to be saved is through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. Can I, can I say this to you? I'm not here to offend anybody or anything like that, but let's let the Word speak for itself. doesn't matter what i got to say, but it matters what God's got to say. The only prayer that God hears from a lost person is a repair of repentance toward God and faith in His Son. Otherwise, they're just moving. When they come to the point, convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm a lost sinner. I am. I deserve nothing but the judgment of God. And I believe that Jesus Christ came and died in my place. And I, pay, I place my faith and trust in Him and say yes to the Lord. That's the only prayer that God hears from a non-believer. After that begins the relationship. But before that, it's just mumbling. I'm going to give you a great biblical example of that. I want you to look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Do you hear it? Don't you hear it without society, throughout our society? And now, even in church culture, there's a buzz around that maybe there's another way besides the cross. Maybe the cross is a good way, but maybe there's another way. Surely God could not restrict the way to just that one way. First of all, think that through. What kind of father would God be? What kind of God would He be if He brutally sacrificed His Son on the cross of Calvary? stripped him naked, had him beat within a half inch of his life, carry his own cross up to Calvary's hill, and nail him there in public shame and humiliation, suffer the full measure of the wrath of God, and God look at somebody and say, you know what, you can either come through that, or just do the best you can. You take a pick. Why would God do that to his son if there were another way? Of course he wouldn't do that if there were another way. 
the way of the cross. See, here's what happens. All of humanity lines up on one side of the cross or the other. You remember the story. There are two thieves on either side of Jesus, both of them cursing at him. One of the greatest stories in the Bible of salvation by grace through faith is the thief on the cross. But look at the other guy. Look at the other guy. Only look at the other guy this morning. One of them changed his mind. Said, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? But what did Jesus turn around to him and say? I tell you the truth. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Just go get baptized. Go give at the altar. Go wash your hands. Go face the priest and confess something. Turn toward Mecca. Now this belief. Period. Period. And watch what happened right here. Look. You're either on one side of the cross or the other. Either you demand salvation your way or you give that up and come God's way. One or the other. You demand salvation your way, you will die in your sin and can expect the full measure of the wrath of God. But if you humble yourself and come God's way, you'll be with Him in paradise. But look at this. Does God hear the prayer of an unbeliever other than their first prayer of repentance and faith in His Son? The answer is no. Look at this in verse 40. But the other, this is the other thief, I'm going to call it verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He blasphemed him and said, If you are the Christ, save yourself. Come down off this cross and save yourself and us. That was his prayer. His prayer was, I want salvation, but I don't want it through the cross. And you've got to get down off of here to prove to me that you're God and you're sovereign over this. And you've got to prove to me that there's another way. Because nana, nana, boo, boo, I do not like this cross business. Save me, but save me without the cross. Did Jesus hear that? Jesus didn't respond to that. The other thief did. He said, look, look what happened. But the other one answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, before we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong? Then he said to Jesus, the thief that got saved, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus responds to that and said, he heard that prayer. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Take your pick. Salvation on your own terms will damn you. That's why the Bible says that there is a way that seems right unto man, and that way leads to destruction. That's why it says that. So the altar is broad. The brazen altar is big. But the golden altar of incense is small because it's just for the believer. It's just for the believer. Now see, we ain't finished with the altar of incense. we got more to go there. I'm telling you a lot more to go there. Because this altar is so important. I'm going to ask you something. Do you take him up on his invitation to approach the throne boldly to find the mercy and grace and help that you need 24-7? Oswald Chambers, one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard outside the Bible, Chad. 
Prayer does not prepare you for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Can I say this to you? The devil will keep strongholds in your life and he will wear you slap out doing good things because you'll be resigned. You'll be forced to do good things in your own strength if you're not petitioning before the Father. Can I say this to you? We are far too busy people. We are far too busy people. And we've chosen the lesser things. We're serving God and we've got good intentions. But I want you to know what we're doing. We're doing it out of our own strength instead of His. And I can tell you this. we got the results to prove it. we got the results to prove it. Intercessory. Did you know this? I'm going to say this is a preview of coming attractions. I heard a former pastor of mine back when I was, I was a deacon at his church. And he used to say this all the time. It was a favorite saying of his. And I agree with it. It's wonderful. He said, you're never more like Jesus than when you're giving. Is that true? For God so loved the world, he... And is Jesus a giver? You better believe it. You better believe it. And I got to thinking about that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to one-up him on that one. Not that I was trying to be contentious. I don't mean that. But I just got to thinking about it because I was trying to forgive somebody once who really deeply hurt me. And I said, Lord, I'm going to lay this at the cross of Calvary because I can't do this. You have to do it. And I just thought, well, maybe it's really that you're never more like Jesus than when you're forgiving. You buy that? He forgave us. Did we deserve it? He waiting around in heaven for us to deserve or merit forgiveness? He'd been alone for a long wait, wouldn't he? This is what I've come to realize. This is the top of the list right here. Those things are true, but let me tell you the ultimate truth. You're never more like Jesus than when you're interceding. You're never more like Jesus than when you're interceding. Because you know why? That's an eternal, perpetual ministry. Forever. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that after he had purged our sins he sat down on the right hand of God. And the Bible lets us peer into heaven. Isn't the Bible wonderful? And he lets us peer into heaven in Hebrews chapter 7 and tells us what Jesus is doing there. And what is he doing? He's at the Father's right hand and he ever lives to intercede for you and I. Oh, saints, we're losing the point. We're missing the point. we got powerless lives to prove that we really, in practical measure, don't believe that. You can get all the other things ordered just right. Get your doctrine set up just right. Get it all right. Those, those are important things. But to petitioning and to be before the holy God of the universe in intercession, to join in the Trinitary communion that goes on between the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father, to get looped into that, is the most powerful, effective thing you'll ever do in your life. And it will make you more like Jesus than anything else you'll ever do.